Amen. All right, grab your seats. Let's get ready to go. Grab your Bibles. We're, gonna, we're, we're in a story time series. For all of you um, that haven't been here, we, we kicked this off. A few weeks ago, I asked um, how many of you knew a story in the Bible, and over probably two-thirds of our church didn't know it. And God really hit me. Let's go back. Let's hit some of these stories that maybe are getting lost in time and, and, and grab some very valuable truths. So I want to give you this. Ready? Right off the bat. The Old Testament is relevant. Can I tell you, it is still relevant. I know we're living in a generation now that tries to do away with the Old Testament. The Old Testament tells so many stories and examples of what happens when we're in control, right? Can we go back through the Bible and see a lot of mistakes made in the Old Testament? Yes. Can you go back through the last 10 years of your life and see the same? Yes. And the Old Testament says, okay, hey, this is how they got it wrong. This is what God did. Even grace was found in the book of Genesis. And and all the way through the Bible, you see God restoring, renewing, restoring, renewing. Meaning this, that even before the cross, he had a plan to restore everything that was broken and everything that was stolen by the enemy. And he still has that plan for your life today. And that is good news. All right. And then the cross came and made a possible way through Jesus Christ. And we're celebrating that. It's springtime, right? Easter time. Everything's coming back to life. It's symbolic. Jesus came back to life so you could come back too. And so today, as we, in a moment, will be baptizing, and, and, and there's many people that are signed up, and, and that baptism, this is just water in a horse feeding trough, but it, it, it's our baptistry, all right? We, we've got our own little corrugated signs hiding the advertisement for the farm company, all right? Um, but in there, understand, this is just a symbol. This is people making a statement that, hey, I've decided, I've given my heart to Christ. That's not their salvation. He is, all right? Understand this. There's so many processes and so many programs you can get involved in today that'll say this will help you, all right? And I'll tell you truth. While certain things can change your habits, only Jesus can change your heart, all right? And I'm going to tell you this right now. Good habits with a bad heart still result in bad things, all right? You say, what do you mean? If I have good intentions, good intentions doesn't mean that I get good results, all right? You get Jesus involved and you be obedient to that and it changes things. Agree or disagree? How many of you are totally different now than you used to be because of your relationship with Christ? All right, that's worth more than a hand. Give God a praise, all right? Like, that's, that's awesome. So today, as we dive in, we're going to go. Last week, uh, two weeks ago, we were in Genesis 16 looking at Hagar. Today, we're going to back up and look at Abraham. Now, in this passage of the Bible, you see where Abraham's name is Abram, and you see where Sarah's name is Sarai, all right? And God changes their names Beautiful thing, when God changes your name, it means something. And many times in the Old Testament where he he tells people, this is who you used to be, this is who you are. And then he looked at Peter and did the same thing in the New Testament to Jesus Christ. Your name's Cephas, we'll call you this, Simon. You, You know why? Because this means wavering one, this means rock. This is who you are on your own, this is who you are because of me. And I want you to understand in your life, there is a new version of you that can be found in God that has nothing, doesn't even look like, doesn't have the same identity as who you were before Christ. All right, there's a new version of you that can be found in repentance, even if you are in Christ and you found yourself sliding back, God can make you right. He can change you. Good news is when we all get to heaven, we all get a new name. Aren't you thankful for that? No one in heaven has the history of earth. They just have the stamp of God. And that's the beautiful thing. All right, so here it is. Listen, let's, let's look at this today as we go back to the moment that God called Abraham. And so if you would, verse number one, it says, the Lord said to Abram, Leave your native country, your relatives, and your father's family, and go to a land that I will show you. What a cool calling, ready? God's saying, I'm about to take you on a journey, but I'm not telling you where we're going. Now, how many of you would sign up for that? Right? How many of you would be a little bit scared of that? If God showed up today and said, okay, so your house, 
Say bye to mom, say bye to dad, say bye to your kids, say bye to everybody. You're about to hit the road and I'll tell you where we're going when we get there. Now that's not fun. Anybody else ever tried? I think Garrett was talking about it last week in a wonderful lesson on plans and setting goals and I hope you'll go back and listen to that today. We're gonna kind of piggyback that. But when he was talking about it, I think he was talking about the person that set out on a vacation that had no destination and totally had to change their plans. That was you, wasn't it? Had to totally change their plans just a couple days in. Why? You got to have a destination you're going to or you never hit it, right? But God comes in and God does something a little bit radical. And so today we're going to talk about not just the story of, of what's taking place here in chapter number 12, but we're going to talk about what it teaches us, the application to our life. All right, you ready? Is my mic a little loud for y'all? My ears are ringing. I got headphones and I get to set it to what I want in the music. So I had Omar thumping. The bass was going in my ears a lot louder than y'all, you know? And so now I'm like deaf. I can't hear anything. It's all like echoing in my head. All right. So here it is. Let's look at this. Um, Write this down. Ready? Success will always challenge you more than adversity. Success will always bring a greater challenge than adversity in your life. Now you sit there, and I do this all the time. If I had, or if I could, or if I could accomplish more, then I would be able to do more. Would you agree, disagree? Anybody ever thought like that? Anybody else? And, and please don't judge me. All right, doesn't mean I play it, but anybody else ever drove past the Powerball sign and thought all the good things you could do with that money? Come on now. Who's the non-religious in the crowd saying, I have thought that way? All right. Okay. And then me and God have a talk. Like, you know you're going to give, you could give that to anybody. God doesn't want you trusting a lottery. God wants you trusting him, right? And so you, you drive on past, and I'll do it. I'll get, Jordan will be in the car, and I'll be like, could you imagine this, and this, and this, and this? And Jordan is not that type of dreamer. She's more realistic, right? And so there's a big balance, because I'm all like, oh, we could, you know, we could save the world. And she's like, you got to get a person first, right? Like, you know, you, you, you want to change everybody, but what about the individual, right? It keeps you level, But I know this, I want you to write this down. You find out who God is in adversity. Most people turn to God when things go tragic. September 11th, our nation went to God. Is our nation where it is uh, now as compared to where it was then when it comes to our spirituality? No matter of fact, statistics have shown UK became a non-Christian nation for the first time in history. It is now a minority religion in the UK. And the UK considers Catholicism as Christianity, even though I disagree with their method of Christianity. Jesus is all that saves you, not a church. Um, Understand this. um, Catholicism is huge in Europe. And it is the biggest in Europe. And now Europe came out this year and said Christianity is a minority religion. Understand that. That means of that Christianity, true believers who have put their faith in Jesus Christ is even smaller than the number that they have, meaning that it is super ultra Minority. By 2026, Christianity is set to be the minority religion in America. All right, that's just three years away. We're on a decline, and everybody says, oh, that's terrible. Can I tell you this? It's not declining because the world. It's really declining because the church. And it's not declining because the world's getting worse and worse. It's just the church is becoming more like the world instead of being like Jesus. We're, we're, we're hating people. We're tearing people down. We're, we're backstabbers. We're gossips. We do these things, right? And, and, and the world looks at us and we say that God loves you, but don't come to our church because we're going to talk about you, all right? And that's, that's not how it should be. Who is accepted at the cross? Everybody. Who did Jesus die for? Everybody. And, and, and therefore, salvation is offered to everybody, even your worst enemy today. And if you would love your enemies, you'd see a conversion from enemy to friend or enemy to acquaintance rather than having people you hate the rest of your life. It's time for the church 
church to come back to the truth of God. And the truth of God is you cannot hate someone else and love God. That's what the Bible says. The Bible says you cannot say, I hate my own brother, and then, and, and then say that you have the love of God in you. That's not true. All right, you following? Nod your head. You with me? All right, so understand this. We're, we're living in a world that, that, that right now we're heading into adversity. Three major banks have collapsed in the last week. How many of you have seen that on the news? All right, now, uh, if anybody is in a field where that affects, you go back and you look at 2006, 2007, and you realize this has happened before. All right, and when this happened before... Inflation went up, people couldn't afford their groceries, couldn't afford their gas, and we went into what we call, somebody say the word, recession. And we look at that, and I'll tell you right now, the world is going to look at that, and I'll say this, get this, while you can't avoid it, by the way, if you spend your life trying to avoid pain, you're only going to hurt yourself and everybody else around you because pain is unavoidable. It's going to happen. You're going to get hurt. Somebody's going to hurt you. You're going to hurt somebody else. It's going to happen. I remember your daughter when we were sledding, I can't remember how old she was. She's little. We were sledding over at the church there in Dumplin, and, and, and people had mattresses. You remember this day? Were you there? We had mattresses. We had, we had sleds. We had trash can lids. We had anything we could to go down this big hill. And all of a sudden, one of the girls, her daughter, gets on. Sorry, I'm like calling out Rachel. All right, she gets on this, 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 I guess, mattress, and she's about to go down the hill, and that thing's sledding the best. And we've done all the things you're not supposed to do. You know, you oil up the bottom and all that other stuff. And we look at her, this precious little girl, and we say, don't hit the pole. At the bottom of the hill is a pole. So, you know, in my mind, I was kidless at the time. I didn't realize that you don't point out the obvious. And so I say, don't hit the pole. And you know what I did in her mind? Created a target. Not intentionally, but I put it in view. I put it on the mind. Have you noticed this? What you try to resist and what you try to avoid in life, you normally end up hitting. Anybody else notice that to be true? So there goes Rachel down the hill. Guess what she hits? The pole. You know why? We put it there. I'm telling you this right now. If you're trying to say, I'm not going to be like my dad, you're probably heading right toward him. If you're saying, I'm not going to be like this, I'm not going to be like the world, hey, stop trying to say what you won't be and get your eyes on what you should be. And that's why this, the Bible says, if we're going to make it, Hebrews 12 teaches us, we keep our eyes on Jesus. All right, you understand this? If you get your eyes on something else, that becomes the target. That becomes the goal. And while trying not to be something, you become something. Say, got it if you got it. All right, don't resist the donut. Get rid of the donut. Put broccoli in its place. Yeah, all right. None of you, none of you are going to do that today. Nobody's going home saying, we're ridden it. Let's get some broccoli. Nobody's doing that. All right, here it is. I don't know. I like the broccoli. Yeah, especially when you dump the butter all over it and the cheese. But would you agree with me that you will find out who God is in adversity? Ready? Listen to this. You'll find out who you are in success. You'll find out what is mattered and important to you. Um, I, I, I know this to be true. Sometimes you get successful, you come through the fire, you see God in the fire, you get out on the other side and you forget the fire and you forget what God did. And then you start getting complacent. Would you believe that two years ago, I was 55 pounds less than I am today? Just two years ago? Why'd your eyes get so big, Sandy? That was not nice. I mean, she lit up. You keep that hand over that. No, I'm just kidding. So 55 pounds, you know what happened? I lost sight. All that running, all that stuff, here it is. I, I, I got a knee injury. I stopped hitting the treadmill. You know, and here it is. I, I'll tell you right now, when you get strong, the enemy's going to hit it. 
The moment he hits it, you forget what you needed to do to be strong. And you gain it back. And then it comes with friends. Am I right? Lose one pound, how many you get back? Ten? All right, yeah. By that logic, I am in trouble. All right, but here's the thing. Understand this. The moment I think, okay, I've got this and I can maintain this and it's okay to start eating a little bit of sweets. It's okay to start changing a little bit of that diet. Next thing you know, it's all gone. And then you get to a place of your life that you look and you say, how did I get here? Now I'm using that as an example, but how many of you have felt that way emotionally? Yeah, like how did I get here? How did I get so numb? When did I lose my joy? How many of you have ever felt that in your relationships, whether friendships or, or marriages? How many, when did we get this boring or when did we get here? I ask people all the time in our Monday night class, like, what do you do for fun? Matter of fact, I just asked this two weeks ago. Nobody really has an answer other than I take care of my kids. I go to work. That's what you do for routine. What do you do for fun? Because God did not put you on this earth, according to Solomon and Ecclesiastes, just to work your whole life away and never enjoy it. You're supposed to enjoy the life that God has given you. Matter of fact, can I tell you this? You'll be more effective as a witness if you're enjoying life than the person who hates their life. But understand this. When you get to success, you'll find out if you truly believe in God. I see it happen all the time. A marriage will come in struggling. They'll go to church. They'll get into everything. They'll get into celebrate uh, recovery, the restoration ministries. They'll, they'll get into the small groups. And then the moment the marriage starts getting a little bit better, they drop. They start dropping off of these things because we're good now. And you know what happens? They wind up right back where they were, if not worse. And you know why I say if not worse? Because the Bible says if the demon comes back and finds you getting healthy, it'll go get seven stronger than itself. All right? So habits come back worse the next time around. How many of you would say amen to that? You've experienced that. Yeah. So here's why you keep your guard up. Here's why you keep it going. So I'm going to teach you really quick from this story. And let me lay the background. God looks at Abraham and he says, pack up, we're moving, let's go. Let's go. We're going to go to a city. I'll let you know when we get there. The builder and maker is God. This is going to be great. Keep reading with me if you would. In verse number two, I will make you into a great nation. I will bless you. I will make you famous. And you will be a blessing to others. I will bless those who bless you and curse those who treat you with contempt. All families on the earth will be blessed through you. What a promise. How many of you wish God would show up and say that to you today? Hey, you know what he's saying? This is, not only are you going to be okay, you're going to make others okay. And not only are others going to be okay, you're going to change a generation. Not only are you going to change a generation, you're going to set the course of mankind. You're going to write history. You're going to be where the blood line of Jesus Christ comes from. You're going to be a city. You're going to be a generation. You're going to be somebody that God uses through all history. Now, can I tell you this right now? And I want you to understand it. The same is true with you. Now, you don't necessarily have this, you're going to multiply and you're going to do this, but God's saying, hey, I want to use you, I'm going to bless you, and you're going to be a blessing to other people. So I want you to look at this, and we're going to break this down today. Number one, we're going to look at the call. Number two, we're going to look at the challenges. Just two points. Now, if you know me, there's about 15 subpoints. All right, so here it is. Ready? Let's go. Let's number one, let's look at the call. God will always call us to something that's got two parts to it. Ready? Write these down. Number one, it's bigger than we are. All right, would you agree to that? All right, number two, it's going to make you fully trust him. If it's going to happen, you're going to have to lean on him. 
God is not, and I want you to get this, please, church, listen to me. God is not going to call you to the thing you're capable of. He's going to call you to the thing that you're only capable of if you trust him to do it through you. Some people say, well, you know, this is what I'm good at. All right, I'm going to tell you this. If you only do in life what you feel like you're good at, you're probably not going to do much in life. You're not going to go far. You'll just be status quo and that'll be the end. Look at every great invention. Go to New York City and look at the Chrysler building. Now, I don't know what year that was built. Anybody got that? 1934. Who is that? That was good. You're right on spot. 1934. Only Tammy was alive for that. No, I'm just kidding. Anybody alive for that? All right. I'm sorry. She wasn't. All right. All right. Here it is. This dude walks out and says, we're going to build a building that's never been built. So what happens? Competition. Somebody else comes in and says, we're going to build one bigger. And now you go to every major city in the world, and what do you find? Skyscrapers. Why? Because somebody said, I'm going to step out of what is possible into what has not been done, and I'm going to change the world through it. A guy gets in a, a, a garage, burns down the garage a couple times, building this machine, a machine that we now are 100% dependent on. Anybody know what that machine is? A computer. Come on now. You carry one in your pocket. Who would have ever thought when Nokia released a phone that one day we would be able to access the entire world in a little device that fits in our pocket? A guy that sat in the basement and then into the garage and built out machines that literally the first one was huge and would take up entire walls and all these other things. You're saying, what are you saying? Uh, everything you admire in life, everything you think is special in life, everything we look at or pay big money for, the biggest paintings, the art that is so valuable was not somebody who said, I'm just going to do the status quo. It was somebody who said, I'm going to do more than has ever been done before. Are you following me? I feel like everybody's distracted today. What do I need to do? Jump, jumping jacks? Everybody's looking over there. What's going on over there? Everybody okay over there? Okay, just making sure. It's like half the auditorium's over there. Okay, everybody like freaked out on me. It made me a little, little uncomfortable up here. Oh yeah, by the way, if the number matches the sticker that you got, go, go get your kid. <laughs> That's pretty much what it means. <laughs> go get your kid. If you're visiting, they, they need help. There, there might be a poopy or something going on. They need you. This is online too. Sorry. A moment. Yeah, you're back. That's great. We just lost all the viewers. All right, here it is. Listen. So in life, sometimes we get to this mediocrity mindset. And I'm going to tell you this right now. God has not called you to the mediocre. What does that mean? That just means go with the flow. God has not called you to a routine. God has not called you to boring. If you are bored in life, that means you are probably not doing the things in life you should be. There's something more. There's something challenging. How many of you would agree that the things that God has asked you to do when he first told you, you thought was impossible? Anybody like that here? You're sitting in a church. This church started in the middle of the recession. I was told when we started a church, this is the dumbest time to start a church. Not only did we start a church, we started it in the storage unit, right? And I was told that's the dumbest place to start a church. And now you see God, now we're in the middle of nowhere and everybody's like, it is literally snowing outside. But now it's, everybody's like, you know, how in the world is something happening like this in the middle of nowhere? When we were building the building, I had so many people tell me it looked like a mini Walmart. 
I actually think Walmart owes us a gratuity because they didn't have their markets until we built our building, right? And so anyway, it was like, hey, it can't be done, it can't be done. But then I'm reminded of a guy named Nehemiah who had a vision that a wall was to be rebuilt around a city and everybody was saying, there's no way, there's no way, there's no way. If a fox breathes on it, if something hits up against it and it's all gonna fall, there's always gonna be a critic to the calling that God has on your life. But the calling that God has is always going to be bigger than you. Always. That's why if you're like, I love kids, but I'm scared to death to teach them, sign up and get in there. You know, hey, I, I told somebody, we're bringing on a new youth minister. Where's Dusty? He's here. He's somewhere. He's probably in the children's building. We're bringing on a new, a new college age, sorry, minister. He's going to be taking them and running with them. Chris got the program started. He's stepping in. Uh, we're excited about this. He told me on the phone, he said, I'm really nervous. I was like, good, don't lose that. If you ever get to a place where you're like, hey, I got this, then you're a place where you're dependent on you. Success has made you an idol in your life. You need to stay at the place where you say, okay, God, I'm all in. I may lose everything, but if you say pack up and move, we're going. If you say step out, we're stepping out. If you say preach, I'm preaching. I know some of you know this, but some of you do not. I get nauseous every single time I have to take this stage. Matter of fact, Garrett got to where he takes me to my office and prays over me every Sunday because it literally is a physical and emotional experience before we ever even walk out here. The day I take the stage thinking I've got this is probably the day that I left God out of my life. At some point, we got to realize that this message is real, that what we're sharing today actually impacts lives. That what we're doing today actually changes people's course. That what we're doing today should be practiced at home. What we're preaching today should point people to Jesus. And what we're preaching today should usher people into a relationship that will last for eternity with their Savior. We do not play small ball. This isn't little league. This isn't get up there and everybody gets a trophy. This is, hey, put on your armor. Get a helmet of salvation. A breastplate of righteousness. Get your Bible, the sword. Get your feet guarded. Get the truth on them. Get the belt on. We're going into enemy territory. We're taking it to them. You are not called to play it safe. You're called to make a difference. Abraham was successful. I mean, look at this. God will always call you to something bigger than you. It'll make you fully trust him. But look at this verse in verse number two. He says he's going to bless him. But the Bible already tells us in the next few verses that Abraham was a wealthy man. I mean, he had tons of cattle, a lot of people employed. He had it all. Number two, you need to understand in the call and the vision, it'll always be something bigger and better uh, than you are, but God's going to equip you for what it is he's called you to. I'm going to say this right now. If your life is not being used, your resources not being used to bless other people, you are wasting the resources that God has given you. God has not blessed you for you to be a hoarder. God has blessed you for you to bless others. Now what verse 2 tells us? You will be blessed and you will be a blessing. And by the way, we go to resource in our world and everybody thinks money. I'm telling you, some of you are the happiest people I know. You would be great and powerful at changing lives just by encouraging others. I mean, just by standing out, telling people it's good to see them. Just by going around to the security team today who's standing out there in the snow as we speak, freezing their tails off to keep you safe, they need an attaboy, a girl on the way out the door. And your, your encouragement could go a long way. 
How many of you would be honest with me and say that words of affirmation are your love language? Would you slip up? And let me give you an example. When somebody says, you look good today, or somebody says, and when I say somebody says that, that should be your husband or wife, not somebody outside of that. If you're single, it should be a single person. Say amen. You with me? All right. If you're single and you see a single person that does look good today, this is your chance. All right. You know, like I'm, I'm giving you coaching 101. Maybe you go up and say, you look very nice. Don't be like, you look good. That's probably not church lingo, but go up and you look nice today. What's your name? I maybe, maybe get the name first. I don't know. You figure it out. All right. So here it is. The thing is, is at some point of our life that goes a long way. How many of you like to hear you did a good job? How many of you would perform better at work if they noticed the work you did? All right. How many of you love and saw it, maybe as a kid to today, the words, I'm proud of you? Anybody like that? By the way, let me give you a book, Five Basic Love Languages. I know there's one for relationships. There's one for singles. There's one for teenagers. There's one, there's like five or six different versions. You say, well, I'm not married. I'm not in a relationship. You still need to know the language you speak, and you still need to know how to recognize the languages of others. You know what that does? Makes you an effective person in ministry, makes you an effective person in relationship. Can I tell you this? It'll even make you an effective person in business to recognize the language somebody else speaks. If I go into a place and I start telling them, hey, you know, oh, look at these ceilings, and all of a sudden they're like, well, you know, I don't, I don't really care about vaulted ceilings. It's not a big deal. Should I be pointing that out in the next house I take them into? No, I would be a terrible salesperson to do so. You know why? Because I'm speaking to something that doesn't matter. But if that person walks into the kitchen and their eyes get big as Sandy's did when I talked about how much weight I gained, and when that person walks into that kitchen and does that, guess what you should be pointing out? The features. You should be modeling the stove. Right? Now understand this. that We got a lot of people that are like, how do you not know that I, I love you? Because you're not speaking their language. You're speaking your own. And that's why we need to understand that, hey, God's going to equip you for the call that he's given you. And part of that equipment is being able to impact somebody else's life. So your resource doesn't have to be money. It can literally be a skill. How many of you know Wade and Howard? Raise your hand. Two of the uh, very skilled men that do a lot of work around here. They do a lot of work around here that is very much unnoticed and underappreciated, but would cost us a fortune if somebody else did it. And they do it at very minimal pay and at a low pay scale, but they do it with smiles on their faces and encouragement in their voice. They're two of the greatest assets we have at Grace Community Church. Matter of fact, can we say thank you to them for real quick for all the things that they do? They are skilled. Neither one of them would come up here and tell you they're the wealthiest person in the, in the place. Am I right, guys? Huh? All right, am I right? Yeah. I tell you what, they do a lot. So here it is. God's equipped you with something, and I'm not going to go into this because I went into it a little bit ago, uh, a couple weeks ago. You probably already got the passions in you from a child that God wanted to use in you as an adult. And God set skills in place and different things. You might have been traumatized and have forgotten them, or you might have tried to develop yourself into something that you're not and lost yourself along the way. But there is a God-sized version of you in there, and if you'll let God use it, he'll take the resources of your life, and he will make you a blessing to other people. So I challenge you. God's going to equip you for the call. And here it is, number three, whatever he calls you to, do it. Obey. Look at verse number four of this chapter. It says, so Abraham, Abram, I'm going to call him Abraham, departed as the Lord had instructed and Lot went with him. 
Abraham was 75 years old when he left. By the way, can I tell you this? A, a, a couple of years ago, we did a, a, a series, and I'd heard this in college and kind of developed it and used it, uh, in, in a series of the phases of God's will. How many of you were here for that series? The phases of God's will, there's six. I'm going to give them to you in brief today. Number one is the dream, the vision. All right, write it down. I want you to recognize this. This is what you need to know to gauge where you are in your planning and in your goal setting. The dream and the vision is the goal, right? Then number two, next step in the phases of God's will, you see it all throughout the Bible, is to make the decision, are you going to obey God or not? Are you going to trust God or not? You're going to decide. Today, people are getting baptized. You know what they're saying? I have decided to follow Jesus. I've made him the Lord of my life, right? And so you make the decision, phase two, make the decision. That's what we see just happen. Number one, God says, I'm going to make you a great nation. I'm going to bless you. I'm going to bless those that bless you, curse those that curse you. I'm going to make you a blessing to other people, but you've got to pack up. You've got to get ready. You've got to move. So the call says, here's the, here's the end result, but here's the decision you're going to have to make. Are you going to stay where you are? Same decision some of you got to make right now. Are you going to stay where you are in your marriage? Are you going to stay where you are? And I'm not saying divorce. I'm saying, are y'all going to stay stagnant? Are you going to stay where you are trapped in your addiction? Are you going to stay where you are hidden and, 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 and got a lot of things going on in your life that you're not talking about? Are you going to stay here or is today the day you're going to decide, okay, God, your way, not my way, I'm all in. There has to be a decision. And so Abraham makes the decision I'm going to follow God at 75 years of age. What, how old, a little review of two weeks ago. How old was Abraham when Isaac was born? 100. Somebody do quick math. How long did it take for the plan to start? 25 years. Number two in our notes today. There's the call, then there's the challenge. We say it this way. God didn't give Abraham Isaac for 25 years. You know what we call that? Delay. Delay. How many of you have found that you get these great plans, you get these great goals, you're going to go towards a but then there's a delay in the process of it happening in your life. Can I tell you this? If you're nice to your wife for the first time today, you're probably not going to have a brand new relationship tomorrow. Everybody got quiet on that one. Ladies, talk to me. If he comes home and changes today, are you going to trust it? I didn't hear one yes. What's it going to take for you to be able to trust the change in their lives? Consistency. Okay, that was like a k -k 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 -k. They just went all over. Casey was like, work. <laughs> Did y'all hear her? She's, like, she's still single, but work, right? Like you're going to have to, it's not consistency is work, right? Matter of fact, does God require work? Matter of fact, faith without works is dead. And so it, it, I'm changing my life. Great. Write this down. I want you to understand it. All of you who are making changes in your life, please remember this. Guys, listen to me. Second chance. Places that are here that, that visit with us. Anybody in our restoration ministries, listen to me right now. Ready? You know the exact moment that the change is real. But the world around you knows where you've been. They do not know what's going on on the inside. It's going to take consistent action throughout a period of time for them to see it's real. Does that make sense? Don't demand trust, earn it. Don't demand respect, earn it. You can change today. The proof of the change comes out when you're rooted and you're growing fruit. The fruits are the proof. Got it? 
So don't go home discouraged because they're like, hey, well, you know, you used to say, you, you, no, 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 wake up and realize that through time, you can prove the change, but the change happens the moment you decide to jump into the vision that God has given you for your life. All right, 25 years later. I don't know about you, but it'd be hard for me to wait 25 years for the promise of God. Anybody say me too? How many of you feel like you've been waiting a long time? Yeah, how many of you feel like you've been in this battle, this season, this area of life a long time? Say me. Yeah. Don't give up. Habakkuk 2 verse 3, it may seem like a long time in coming, but rest assured it will come and it will not be delayed. God will keep his promises to you every single time. You know what you got to do in the process? Stay obedient. Stay faithful. Stay focused. Waiting on the Lord is not... Let's put it this way. Waiting on God is probably the most difficult thing I do in my life. Agree or disagree? Anybody else in here like to get ahead of God when God doesn't show up on the time frame you think it needs to be done? Anybody else ever sit at the dealership praying over the car and you just started praying at the dealership after you've test driven the car that you like? Come on, who's there? Okay, let me break it down. Anybody ever started praying about whether you should purchase the TV at Walmart when you're standing there staring at it and it's got a better picture and it's bigger than yours? Isn't it amazing that we, 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 we start praying and expect God to give us the answer right then and there? So we're like, God, should I buy this? Okay. I feel like I should. Right? God, should I, should I get this car? I feel like I should. Your feelings, no offense, can be stupid. Right? My feelings can be totally messed up. Your feelings will change. Matter of fact, in the moment you sign for the car, the feelings change 30 days later. What happens 30 days later? Yeah, you pay for it. The Bible says a wise person counts the cost before the purchase. But a fool goes ahead and then, you know, here's the truth. They're the ones that normally blame God. We are, I hate to put y'all, we are the ones that normally blame God. Like, God, I trusted you. No, you didn't. You went and got a Hagar. You went and made your own plan. You knew that God said, I'm going to help you, but you thought, well, he ain't doing it yet, so it must be up to me. No. Listen to me. If you don't know what to do, stand firm where you are in your faith. Isn't that what the Bible says in Ephesians 6? And after you've put the armor on, and after you've done everything you can do, there's that word, I think it's five letters, that it says right there, and it is what? Stand. Why? It's God that fights the battles, not you. And if you're fighting the battle, that's probably why you're losing. Some of us are picking fights we shouldn't be in. You know your most powerful word in ministry? No. No. Now some of you, That's your only word in ministry. That's not how God's designed it. The most powerful word, and and look, I've even messed this up at a point in my life where good things can become kryptonite. For those of you that don't understand the reference, y'all know Superman, his weakness was kryptonite. Okay, there it is. Good things can become kryptonite and keep you from the best things that God has for you. I'll tell you this right now, the challenge, the number one challenge you're going to face when answering God's will in the delay season is to have a total faith that without God, you ain't moving. But if God tells you to move, you're going to move even if you don't know where you're going. Um, I think Tuesday, 
they break ground on a building that we don't even have all the money for. Now, my thing is this. We could have guaranteed it, gone and got the loans, but God really kind of showed us some things, didn't he? I mean, he made it very clear. Banker, one banker sat down and, and really tried to explain it to Chris and I spent a couple hours on the phone with us. And, and so we said, you know, we've always been a church that said we're going to let God build it. We're not going to go into debt. We're not a rich church. I mean, most of you probably have more in your bank account than the church does right now. Let that sink in. And I don't mean that to be a scary thing. I'll tell you this now. It's like the oil and the ointment that the widow lady had with her son when Elijah showed up and said, give me to eat. If we just keep giving God from the little resource we have, the bucket never runs out. And that has happened again and again and again over the history of this church. But we wanted to get ahead because there's such a great need. And I really feel like right now when we step back and we say we're not going to take a loan, I don't know what God's about to do here. But I believe God's going to do something here that one day we will stand and we will say and we'll be able to stand in that place. Same thing we said here. We will stand in it, look back and know God did it and we had nothing to do with it. Maybe your faithfulness and your gift, but I'm telling you now, it scares me. And me and God have already had the talk. Why is it that you want to build buildings at Grace in recessions? It makes no sense. Why can't it be when they're handing out all the COVID checks, when everybody has abundance, and instead of them buying boats, we build a building, right? But instead, you're going to do it when eggs cost more than gas. I don't know. I don't do the shopping. Am I right? Am I close? Okay. All right. Wow. Some of you feel that. David has an egg addiction. He has so many chickens. Go hit him up. All right? Here it is. The thing is this. Understand, God's not going to call you to what's comfortable, and part of the challenge you're going to have is you're going to have to wait on him. Delay. But then look at this in verse number 10. Not only is there a delay 25 years, but God says, hey, I want you to move. And, and, and Abraham's packing up and he's getting all his cattle and he's doing all this other stuff. And, and, and by the way, verse number 10, what's it say? At that time, a severe famine struck the land of Canaan, forcing Abraham down to Egypt where he lived as a foreigner. Now, it's not like God's saying, hey, let's move at a very economic time. He's saying, let's move at a time that literally you're going to be in danger. Now, I'm not going to say that God's going to put you in danger where you don't have food to eat. But what I will say is this. God's going to put you in danger because he's not going to leave you in friendly territory. He's going to put you in enemy lands. That's what Egypt always represents in the Bible. A place of captivity, a place of sin, a place of destruction, a place where Israel was not supposed to be. And so anytime you see Israel in Egypt, they are on enemy territory. And I'm telling you this right now. God has not called his church to be in a place of comfort and a place of, of stability. He has called us to be right now in a place where we're losing our babies, where we're losing our friends, we're losing people to add addictions all the time. He has not called our church to come in and sing Kumbaya with a bunch of people who have everything together. He's called sinners to the house of God because we're in need of his grace, in need of his mercy. And then he's called us to go behind enemy lines and rescue people there. God has called us to do difficult things. Matter of fact, that's phase four. Phase one, decision. Phase two, the uh, phase one, dream. Two, decision. Three, delay. Four, difficulty. It's coming. You make a change in your life, it's going to be hard in the very next step. Most people quit their diets because diets are hard. Most people give up on exercise because exercise is hard. Most people give up on saving because saving is hard. 
Most people give up on people because relationships are. Yeah. The Bible says iron sharpens iron. I tell people this. Well, that sounds great. And we always like get around godly people. It'll make you stronger. You know what? You, you know what it takes for iron to sharpen iron? Friction. Yeah, conflict. Rough. The iron's rough on both ends. Any knife collectors in the place today? Nobody? Oh, one. All right. To keep a sharp blade, what do you got to do? Okay, any chefs in the place today? Likes to cook? Do y'all do anything? No, I'm like, okay, there's a few. All right, you got to keep that blade sharp, right? A dull blade's dangerous. Anybody ever try to chop down a tree without sharpening the axe? Yeah, I've done that. Nobody told me you needed to do that. I thought when you bought the axe from the store, it was ready to go. That's not the case, is it? You're hitting that thing and you're like, what is wrong? You sharpen the axe and it actually does a better job. Isn't that like mind-blowing? The truth is this, you don't get a sharpen without friction. Matter of fact, most people are belling out of friction relationships because they think they're not going to work when if you would actually put the work in, that relationship would get stronger. Most people bell out, difficulty's going to come. Abraham gets into this time of life where there's a famine and you know, it kind of sounds like where we may be heading now. There's shortages everywhere. Um, Y'all follow the news? I'm not a doomsday. I don't want to tell you all this doomsday gets scared. I'm just going to tell you this now. The scarier the world gets, the more you should start looking to the east, waiting on Jesus to split the sky. All right, you ready for that? You're saying, oh, it's getting so scary. I'm going to tell you this now. If this bothers you, wait till the very last days. The world's going to get worse. And the worse it gets, the closer to home we get. Now, don't get lazy. The church normally says that and says, ah, oh, it's got to be this bad for Jesus to come. That doesn't mean you get to sit on the couch with soda and potato chips and watch the world go down. He's saying, hey, it's getting bad, so get off your tail and go tell somebody about Jesus today. Go be a light. Go shine a light. You're going to be called to difficult lands. Your calling's going to have difficult seasons. That is where the light is easiest to see. Remember we said this at the beginning. It's adversity. You find out who God is to you. It's also in adversity that the things of God are seen by others. If somebody's here today and they're lonely or hurting, they're more open to the gospel than somebody who has it all together. Matter of fact, I think Jesus said it this way. It's easier for a camel to get down on all fours and on its belly and crawl through a very tight, they call it the eye of a needle, a very tight area than it is for a rich man to come to faith. Why? Because a rich person believes in themselves. As somebody who has nothing, it's totally dependent on help. You're open to it. Close your eyes, this isn't the end, but I'm going to ask you this. How many of you would consider yourself either you're in a delay season or a difficult season right now? Would you slip your hand up? A delay season or a difficult season? All right, that's about half our church. How many of you are at the dream phase where you're just starting to see that God could use you? You're just starting to see hope, okay. Maybe that needs to lead you today to the decision phase to say, God, I'm all in, right? If you're in the delay or the, or the difficulty, I've got great news. Look at me, ready? You're about to hit a dead end. Yeah, that's, that's, that's the next phase. The fifth phase is where there's, there's no other way. 
It, this is what we would call the children of Israel standing at the Red Sea with all the armies coming down on them. They can't go back because the army wants to get them. They can't go forward. They may drown. There's no hope. There's nowhere to turn. I promise you this. You want a dead end because a dead end is when deliverance is found. That's phase six. When God opens the door, you didn't see. When God does the thing you didn't know could be possible. When God makes a way that you and I didn't think could be a, a way or a, gives an avenue that we didn't think would be open. The difficulty season leads to a season of total dead end, meaning total dependence on God is a must because without him, you have nothing. How many of you would say with your eyes open, I'm at a dead end in certain areas of my life? Slip your hand up. Let's do that. I'm there. Come on, raise them high. Let's see it. You may think, and here's where the enemy comes in and says, this is it. It's over. But this is the moment that God can be seen the most in your life. The dead end brings the best chance for God-sized possibilities. Matter of fact, a tomb sealed and guarded by soldiers brings the best opportunity for a risen Savior to make himself known. And you may be saying it's over. And God is saying, I'm about to get started. Now here it is. When you get in these seasons, you've got to be careful. If you read beyond verse number 10, matter of fact, look at verses 12 and 13, and I'm almost done. They've given me a clock. I know where I'm at now. When the Egyptians see you, he's saying to his wife, Abraham's saying, look, woman, you're a hot. That's what he's saying. Verse number 11, he looks at his wife, and this is how we should look at our wives, men. You are beautiful. Now, this is what we should not do. We should not make decisions based on our fears. And he says, look, if we get to Egypt and we, 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 they see you and I say this is my wife, they're going to kill me because they're going to want you. So you're going to say you're my sister. We said in verse number 13, by the way, if you don't believe in general, uh, generational curses, his son does the very same thing. All right? So understand this, he says, hey, it's difficult. I'm at a dead end. I have to go to Egypt. So I'm going to make a dumb decision. And I'm going to pretend that you're my sister. And you know what happens? Pharaoh goes for it. And, 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 and read this with me. It, it, it says, uh, they'll kill him, verse uh, 13. So please tell them you're my sister. Then they will spare my life and, and treat me well because of their interest in you. Now I'm going to speak to two different people in the place. Number one. Don't you dare ever be used for somebody else's success. Don't you dare devalue yourself where somebody else will care more about how they are than they will care about how you are. God will never steal from you to help somebody else. I tell people all the time, he's a big enough God that he can help you and them at the same time. And if you're sitting here saying, it's my last dollar and I got to give it and I'm going to help. And if you're sitting saying, well, I'm always helping everybody and I'm broke. Maybe you need to reassess who's helping people. Is it God through you? Or are you on your own? God is big enough that he can use you, but he doesn't have to have you. Y'all got this? Some of us are exhausted in the place because we're trying to be the savior of the world instead of letting Jesus be that. And so he looks at Sarah and says, you're going to be the peon. I'm going to get the reward. So if you go down and you read 
In verse number 14, and sure enough, when Abraham arrived in Egypt, everyone noticed Sarah's beauty. When the palace officials saw her, they sang her praises to Pharaoh, their king, and Sarah was taken into the palace. Then Pharaoh gave Abraham many gifts because of her, sheep, goats, cattle, male and female donkeys, male and female servants, and camels. But the Lord sent terrible plagues upon Pharaoh and his household because Sarah was Abraham's wife. In other words, it's like this. If you try to do it for God, God's still going to correct it back because it's not about what you and I can accomplish. It's about what he can accomplish and his will will accomplish a whole lot more than our will could ever do. And so God sends his plague in and guess what? Pharaoh's not happy. So Pharaoh summoned Abraham, verse number 18, and accused him sharply. What have you done to me? He demanded. Why didn't you tell me she was your wife? Why did you say she is my sister and allow me to take her as my wife? Now then, here is your wife. Take her and get out of here. Pharaoh ordered some of his men to escort them. And he sent Abram out of the country along with a wife and all the possessions. Hey, can I tell you this? When you, whether or not you want to or not, your way and even God's way will lead you to a place where only God can make it happen from there. So even your way and my way is going to end up at a dead end. God's way is more than likely going to end up at a dead end. If my way ends up at a dead end, God's got to correct my behavior before he can do what he was going to do in the first place. You following this? He's a good God and he will do what he promised he would do. But sometimes I need corrected. Anybody else ever been there in their lives? I need an attitude adjustment. I need a focus realignment. And I need, it's like this, um, I, I went and had to get tires on my truck, which let's not talk about how much tires are. And, and, and when I got there, you know, all the guys, they were right. I, I said, man, the belts are showing on the inside of my tire. I was showing on a mountain and slid down the mountain, didn't have grip and, and made a turn. And I noticed this white thing on the back and I'm not mechanical, as you know, if you go here and, and I'm like, that's not right. That doesn't feel right. And I took a picture and I'm like, I think the belts are showing. And, and, and I think it was Howard said, you are out of alignment. And so Howard, just to give you a, a attaboy, when I went to the dealership, they said, you are out of alignment. The difference is, is they wanted to charge me for the information you gave it free. All right, but the thing is, is, I realized this, that being out of alignment cost me more than if I would just take care of the alignment. Are you with me? I spent about five hours on Monday, five and a half hours in the woods. Nobody proud of me for that? All right, I was in the woods. Hey, thank you. I spent about five hours and 29 minutes of that thinking about snakes. All right, so like, but I was there. I was with a forester and a tree appraiser. And uh, we were walking through. I literally, when I got out of there, I, I called my wife and I, I called Chris. And I literally have said these words a lot. Um, I wish I could see the world through their eyes. We're walking through the woods and he's telling me all these stories. He's like, that tree's 300 years old. That tree's the reason all these other trees are here. And then all of a sudden, like, we're walking and he's like, there's gaps, there's gaps. He said, something's going on. Oh, look at that. That's, that's a beech tree. That's a baby beech tree. This dude gets excited. He's like, there's a mama somewhere. What are we doing? So he's walking through and he's, he's like, there it is. There's the one. That's the reason. And then he goes, this oak can't survive without that maple. And this maple can't survive without that pine. And they're really working in an ecosystem here. And that's an unhealthy tree. I'm sitting there. I'm like, tree, 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 tree. <laughs> you know, when I first started showing this property, the guy asked me, how much value do you think is on the trees? I look at tree and I think every tree has value, but it's not true. Um, he starts talking about cat faces. How many of you know what a cat face is in a tree? Yeah, me either. All right, two. Oh, you do? All right. 
He said, that tree can't be used. He says, there's only six feet of that tree that can be used. The thing was a giant, 40 feet up in the air. He's like, these are healthy. It takes me over, and it's all these ones that literally all it is, it looks like a skinny trunk that shoots straight up, no branches or anything, and at the very top, there's foliage. There's nothing anywhere else. He said, that tree's healthy, that tree's healthy, that tree's healthy, that tree's healthy. Then he looks at me and he says, you know what we're going to do? He said, we can't give a value to this place. We're going to have to count the trees. It's like, there's 143 acres here. Like, how are we going to count all these trees? He said, but most of these trees have defects. He started saying, and he looked at him and he said, you know what that is? He says, you see that? I was like, yeah, that's a limb. He said, that's a defect. He said, it's a tree that's growing outside of the canopy of protection. And part of it is growing away from the rest of it. I was like, a branch is a defect? And he's like, yep, that's a defect. He said, that's not a lumber log. And then he starts talking, Norm, do you know this word, veneer logs? I have no idea what that is, but I'm nodding my head because I want the deal. I'm like, yeah, no, veneer logs, these are good. Apparently, it's the best kind of log you can get. He said, look at that bark twisting. He, he went through and he said, he said this, look, a tree that's growing in a healthy canopy and environment around other trees that are growing healthy too will not have any branches or foliage up it and its wood will be solid and the top of it will tell the story. He said, I can sit here and I can look at the top of these trees and I can tell you which trees are out of place. And I was like, this is cool. So I'm having this God moment. This guy's having a tree moment. And, and, and I'm over here and I'm thinking to myself like, wow, how many branches are growing in my life that don't need to be there because I'm trying to get light in an area instead of just growing towards the only true source of life? You know, like how, how, many, how many times do I get out here on my own and I'm trying to figure out life on my own and all of a sudden now I don't have the canopy of protection of having another believer or having a community or having people that are seeking the same God, that are leaning on God their own way, that are doing the things that they're supposed to do. I'm going to tell you this right now. How many areas of life am I involved in that should not be there because this is what God has called me to be? But because I've tried my way, because it got difficult, because there were seasons, because things happened, I started branching out and trying to make it. And he said, what you see as beauty, I see as defect. And then he started looking at this one pine tree and he said, hmm, look at this one. That's the winter storm of 37. He points up about seven feet. That's the winter storm of 68. He goes up about another few feet. That's the winter storm. And he said, oh man, look at the top. It looks like a winter storm has happened recently. And every time that tree goes through a storm, it acclimates. I looked at that and I thought to myself, man, how many times in God's will do we get out there and we start saying, ooh, difficult, difficult, difficult. And he said, what that tree didn't realize, it's weakening itself and it's losing its value every time it adapts to the season, to the storm. I thought to myself, we got too many Christians that are in a delay or in, a, in this phase of life and they don't know. And God said, man, at 75, he told me I was going to be a great nation and I don't even have a kid. So we start adapting and Ishmael's born. We're kicked out of Egypt, the place of substance. and Life gets harder. I want you to get this and I'll close with it. The longer you and I Seek God last instead of first, the harder life is going to get. One of the greatest statements that man said to me with a smile on his face was this. 
He said, isn't it amazing that even the defects of every tree still try to grow in the same direction towards the same result? They all want the sun. I literally stood there and started crying in front of this man. Because that statement, I got some defects in my life. Anybody got defects in their life? How many of you, it's through the defect God brought you back to him? How many of you would say, yeah, I'm not the perfect tree, but I'm rooted now and, and I'm, I'm, I'm growing in Jesus. And here's the cool thing. Even if I got a defect in my life, it still all is growing towards the same source. It needs the son of the most living God. It needs him. And when God is allowed to have full control of our lives, chapter 16 and 17 happen. Where a, a child is born named Isaac that God would use to do incredible things. I don't know where you are, delay, difficulty, dead end. But God always promises deliverance. When we make bad decisions, verse 17 through 20, his wife got hurt, Pharaoh got hurt, an entire nation went under plagues, people get hurt. Number two, a lot of times we've got to vacate where we are. Maybe you lose the job that God intended for you to have because you made poor choices. I've been there. Maybe, maybe your family has to go through a season of hurt. Been there. But the good news is, is chapter 12 ends. Chapter 13 begins. And I don't know where you are right now, but maybe this is a season of your life that needs to end so God can write the story and write the new version, his version into your life. Or maybe you're in the season right now where you, hey, you've got the promise, you've got the plan, you've packed up, you've moved, you've found yourself in enemy territory. Stop right there and make good decisions. And watch God do something incredible right where you are. I love the fact that no matter who we are, it doesn't change who God is. So no matter where you've been or what you've done, God still has a plan and a purpose for you. Amen? Bow your heads, close your eyes. For those of you that would like to change for baptism, this is a good time, all right? all right? And if somebody in the place would give the kids ministry about a five-minute heads up, we're going to bring them over, all right? David, you got that? All right, let's ask some questions here. How many of you today could totally say, hey, I got something valuable, applicable to my life out of what God shared from this passage today? Would you slip your hand up? Raise your hand. How many of you got something applicable today? All right, hopefully you've got some value to it. Now, here it is. It's not valuable unless it's used, right? You can have all the money in the world, but if you never spend a dime, that money has no value. Today, you could get all the things you need. And I'm going to tell you this right now. When you finish the, the, these six phases that you see through history, Noah went through it, Abraham, David, they all went through these things. You're going to repeat this process in another area of your life. You may be very strong in, 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 in section one of your life, but very weak in section two. I know this to be true. You could be going through these six phases in one area and start in another phase in another area and have another thing going on, especially if you got children, you got a job, you got a career, you got a spouse, you got those things going on. You got things you're worrying about about yourself, things you're worrying about about your family, things you're worrying about for your kids, things you're worrying about for your kid career. If you're not careful, worry will become your worship and you won't have any focus on what God can do. And at some point you got to say, if God wants my son on an altar, I'll lay him on an altar knowing that God can do more for my 
Isaac than I can do myself. At some point, I got to say, hey, I just got to be who God's called me to be in my relationship. And if I become who God's called me to be in my relationship, then God can work on my spouse. God can work on my children. But I don't need to seek their change of life. I need to seek my change in life. And I need to seek the son for me, not for them. And then let God do the rest. No matter what season you're in today, you got to make the decision to continually be obedient. To what God has said, what God has promised, and what God has called you to do. And I hope today that that is the challenge you leave with. That no matter where you are, you'll get in a canopy of healthy growth with other people growing the same, heading towards the same sun, the same direction, trying to become what God has called us to be. God's promised you greatness. Don't settle for less. Now look at me and we'll close. Stand with me. We're going to sing a song where we get ready for baptism. All right, listen here. Ready? Greatness for you is not going to look identical to greatness for somebody else. You shouldn't say, I want their life. You should say, use my life. Here it is. And if greatness means you live this whole world barely getting by, but your bills are still paid for, then that's great. But if you're impacting people where you are, stay put. Some people say, well, if I got a better job, I can make a better difference. Make a difference in the job you got. Stop worrying about everything else. If I went to a bigger church or I had this or I did this, no. Just be where God has you right now and be effective where God has you and watch God do the rest. You may be stuck. It may be difficult. It may be hard, but there is, we're singing it again, a way maker today, a God that comes through. How many of you got a testimony of seeing the deliverance of God in an area of your life? Get your hand in the air. Give God some praise right now where you are. He's been a good God. It's amazing to me how I can see God break through here in an area of my life and still doubt him here. I can see him do miracles here and totally forget he does miracles here. So my prayer for you, can your prayer be for me? The one word that they all said earlier, make me consistent. And the way I believe, Paul said, whether I have a lot or a little, whether I have a full belly or empty, I've learned this, I can be content, consistent right where I am. So maybe right now, bow your heads, close your eyes, and pray that prayer. God, make me consistent.